if you're looking to hire people, you actually want to get people who have high will and low skill. Because if they have if they're extremely motivated and they have low skill, that means that they don't have bad habits. So if you have a good framework and coaching system, you should be able to get this person very quickly to be successful. The worst thing, according to the data, is someone who has high skill and low will because they're frustrated because they're they're not as motivated. They'll like get results, but they are inconsistent. So you can't rely on them. Hey, Morgan, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. So you've been in the industry for a very, very long time. You've seen a lot of changes happen in the sales industry. From your perspective, what are some of the changes that you've seen uh, in the last whatever number of years? The main change is the, just the amount of technology that's out there. And like how much you can truly access. Like we didn't have Gong. I didn't have Gong when I was an SCR. Um, like direct mail was like just getting off the ground. Like Chris and Sendoso had, I think they were just starting. I remember getting prospect by Chris. So like it was like him and like a couple of people. Like, so it wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as well, like there wasn't even the level of content creation there was. So, I mean, that's kind of going to different ra- rabbit holes, but like, I would say like, there just wasn't as much technology. Now there's so much. And mm-hmm. so when people say like, I can't do this, I can't do that. Like, I'm like, oh, there's a lot that you can do, right? If you can do it across the board. So, so I would say there's that piece. I would say another thing that's changed is like just the overall narrative around content creation. Like people now, that's what they want to do. Uh, they want to go on LinkedIn and create content. They want to figure out how to start in some capacity. That was not a thing when I was an SDR or for even up to even 2019. It really wasn't a thing until I think COVID really exploded it where people were like, I'm at home. I might as well create. I think it created a whole nother narrative there. Um, and I think also as well, like in the sales space is that the there's been more, more, more report, uh, support from marketing, right? You think a lot of like revenue marketers, et cetera, like now they're getting more involved. And you also see as well from like the SDR standpoint, they're starting to get more involved with that air cover. And then there's just more narratives going around there. I truly believe at the end of the day that like the, one of the biggest changes overall in sales and in marketing is that the products, going back to products, the products are starting to look similar. So you have to have a brand narrative and you have to be able to sell off that narrative. And so I think that's a big shift in the space too. It's not just like we have this tech that's different. It's like that everyone's doing the same things. How do you stand out with your narrative and your content, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is though, you're, you're talking about the, the, the marketing and sales. I mean, you're almost like merging the two this, these mm. days because the salespeople are becoming mini marketers. Yep. Uh, and I remember way back in the day, you were already, I don't know if you still do that because I kind of lost uh, track of some of those. You used to have this thing called the SDR Chronicles, which you used to create a ton of content yeah, around I, the whole stopped, journey that you're on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I stopped around like 20, 2018. Yeah, I stopped 2018. It just didn't. It didn't make sense anymore. Like when I started doing training with John, I was like, "Well, I'm not. I'm not really an SDR, and I can't chronicle this. Like it. It just was different. So I just stopped doing it. It, it was. It was a project that you know to this day, like you know, put me on that map and got me in the right direction. At the at the moment, it was what people needed. So that's what I always focus on is what do what do people need? And in that moment, the SR Chronicles was that. Yeah. So the thing is that what you're describing is even in the sales industry, like like the mini marketer uh, role. So what advice would you give uh, sales, you know, salespeople? Because I know, so, you know, you do. You, you, if you're in a company, right, you want to probably create a product around 
uh, who the persona that you're going after and the product or the product that you're trying to sell or the solution in the problem that you're trying to solve for. But without, you know, really pigeonholing yourself into that company that you're in, how do you as a sales leader, whether as, whether in the SDR role or an AU role, become more of like a subject matter expert and start creating some content and build a personal brand? Yeah. So the, the thing at the end of the day is like you, you said it there is like, we have a, we have enough product marketers, man. <laughs> like, like, I don't think we need more of those. So having your sales reps post more about the product is, doesn't make any sense. What you should be doing is having them post about people marketing. So what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like, what I tell people is that you have to focus on like curating rather than like just creating and what that Mm -hmm. means is that curating is going to find content and adding your perspective around it so all right cool let's go find a blog post from a ceo let's go find something from the executive that we could highlight these are things that you can leverage and use to get more to get more success in your content output and the thing is is the the math says two to three percent of people are posting consistently on linkedin all right well that's not a whole lot and then if you narrow that down probably people are posting every single day it's probably like 0.05, maybe even less. So if you post once a week and you're curating, you're going to stand out as a rep regardless. And all you all you need to do is just take information that your executives are saying, your market is saying, your industry is saying, and then add your perspective. And yeah, you may get like four or five likes, but you're not looking at it the right way. You have to look at it at the eyeballs that you are getting. The, because the information you're sharing, it's going to be information that your buyer probably is absorbing, which will then put you in the right perspective. So yeah, you see all these people get a lot of likes and stuff like that, but they're... Their game plan and model is different than your game plan and model. Mm-hmm. But I also think that just by the fact that you are sharing a lot of insights in the industry or this, you know, the kind of uh, problems that your customers are facing and providing a lot of insights around that, you also come across as a subject matter expert, not just a salesperson. Yeah, which exactly. I think puts you in a completely different light than any other guy that just calls in and say, "Hey, would you like to buy my product?" Exactly. Yeah, and you have that's what you have to do. Like you have to show that you are investing into the industry and doing the research and learning. That's the biggest piece. That's why I'm saying curating. You're not creating. You're not doing a show. Like You don't need all that. You're just curating based on the things that you're hearing. Hey, I read this article in this industry because I was doing research because I should be doing that anyways. Right? That, that's the things you have to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I think the you know if you had to give them some sort of a rule of thumb, what would you suggest to them? Like I know everybody was talking about in the late 20s, in the 2020s and 2021 is all about social prospect, you know, uh, social selling and you know prospecting on LinkedIn and whatnot. But in terms of the amount of energy and time that they should be spending on these social platforms, creating and commenting and you know sharing all sorts of insights like that from a time time uh, investment standpoint, hard hard to tell ex- tell to tell someone exactly how much time they should do it because I don't know your I don't know your role I don't know how much you're trying to get out of it I don't know what your goals are right so me giving you exact same thing you're gonna, you're gonna get me in trouble so so the thing is what I would tell you is that you have to think about it in terms of what are you looking to accomplish and then how much time is it taking you to do X like that's what it comes down to so hey I want to hit I don't know 300 of my number maybe I need to make 30 comments a day because in my market, people are posting and I need to engage with them. I don't mm-hmm. know, but my whole my whole point is to get back to the root of what I'm saying is that when you're thinking about commenting, engaging, etc., that's why I recommend using Sales Navigator as a tool here. You can see who's posting in the past 30 days. You also can see who's following your company. You can see who's engaging with people on LinkedIn. 
this is a good sign that you can comment with him. And then also as well, like on LinkedIn, all, all I'm saying is post once a week as a rep. That's like not that hard, right? If you're just if you're already learning about your industry and you're adding context of the notes you're learning, this should be an easy transition for you to start putting on more content. Yeah, and also like even uh, just engaging on content that your prospective customers are posting too, because you get on their radar by commenting or asking quest thought provoking questions about the problems or issues that they might be posting, right, or even the content that they're they're sharing. And then getting on their radar is a great way to 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 engage your prospects as well. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's the whole key and that's the whole focus of this is that like it's not that you're going to post and get in meetings all over the place that's not i'm saying it's just over time you want to be top of mind everywhere emails calling social i don't know if you got to send a howler right from harry potter i don't care what you do but at the end of the day is like you have to find a way to have the multi-touch approach most certainly so obviously you know you i think when you were uh at the rainmaker conference you were probably at, uh, at terminus yep. and that company just fast you know on a fast track growth yeah since then i think you moved on to several other uh, uh companies and even worked with the john barrows right so there's so many places that you worked and you have consulted with a lot of major enterprise uh, organization and their sales team so having worked with so many salespeople over the years uh what are some misconceptions that you think uh that we should dispel uh, from having interacted with a lot of sales leaders and salespeople. Misconceptions like people are too aggressive. Like, can you give an example of what a misconception would be? Because I, I think there's a lot of, you know, m- misunderstanding around salespeople, right? Yeah. I think uh, I, I think overall, like salespeople are pretty aggressive. They're, you know, all, all they care about is money. Uh, very few they, few of them really care about the customer or the pro- you know, problem that the customer facing. Are there things that you see that are, you know, that's probably our misconceptions. Yeah, uh, people I think, have made I think uh, the biggest one is that the top reps are always the loudest. And that's that can be false. So the truth, I actually found that a lot of the top reps were introverted. They really didn't say maybe a whole lot uh, because they were just very intentional to ask good questions and they were able to understand the root of the problem. I actually understood. I actually found that to be pretty true. I also found that like just because someone's ripping 200 calls a day doesn't mean they're the top rep either, right? Mm. There were top reps I've identified that like wrote really good LinkedIn messages, wrote really good emails, and they were able to get responses and they didn't make any calls, right? So I think that was uh, something interesting as well. I think also like... I think the one of the biggest ones is that you have to you like you said you have to be aggressive in order to be successful in this and like that's not the case like it's just showing that you really care about the person and obviously e- empathy is a big part of that but like uh the big part is that like you're actually doing your due diligence to study your industry and your personas and that will help you win because those are things that like are not talked about in sales when you think about sales you think of selfish aggressive loud you know over the top and the people who are end up being the most successful are actually none of those things which made it more interesting yeah. And I think, you know, I don't even consider myself a salesperson. I'm more like a consider myself as a more of a consultant in the process. Right. Right. Yeah, consult, yeah. right? And oftentimes, you know, I, I won't consider myself as a, as a very outgoing person either. If you see me on networking events, somebody has to come to me to say hi. Uh, I try to get out of that shell a little bit, you know, depending on the environment I'm in. Uh, but like you said, I think the more empathetic you are of the customer's pain and problems, then you can really relate to their needs and then recommend solutions. And you're, you're there to provide them value. Uh, you're seen as a completely different um, level, right? They're, they perceive you as a, as, a, as a colleague in their field and not like a salesperson trying to make some commission in the process. Exactly. And, that, and, that, and, people, and people can sense that too. Yeah, most certainly. So obviously you've consulted a lot of companies on, you know, hiring and training and coaching people. What are some of the success traits that you tell them to look for in, in quality candidates? 
the number one thing is that you need to figure out what your before you even get into hiring people, you need to figure out what your values are. So the the biggest problem is that people don't know what they're looking to build. So if you look at and I despise saying this team, the New England, the New England Patriots, uh, the Spurs, you look at the Lakers, Celtics, um, Man U, All Blacks. These teams have they have value. So even if the best player, the GM leaves, they still have people who are top value because the values of the organization is top notch. If you don't mm-hmm. have good values of the organization, anything I tell you moving forward doesn't matter. So the first thing you need to do is what values do we hold here? And you need to hold yourself and your team and future employees accountable to those values. And if they don't fit, Bye. See you later. And that's how those organizations have been successful. There are people who have gone there. They're not successful because they didn't follow the values. Not that we don't like you personally. It's just you didn't fit the team. So you got to know that. And then what you, what should you be looking for? So SDRs, AEs, full cell cycle, those are all going to be different components. However, I will tell you, number one, like this is at least what I always look for, is like people who are very curious because that means they're going to ask good questions. That means they're going to like be proactive with the managers to ask questions. That means that they're just going to be a better as a rep. So were they curious before they got in this interview? Did they know about us? What type of questions did they ask at the end of the interview? That's how you could tell if someone's like curious and, and they can do things very well. Uh, number, number two is that you notice that they are able to think outside of the box. And I don't think that has in correlation to curiosity because you could be curious and not think out the box. So it's like, how mm-hmm. are they being creative? How can they be different? If you think about sales now, you have to be unique and different at the end of the day. Um, most reps are going to that mini marketer, you know, like we talked about. So you have to be creative in some way. And then three is how are you basically you got to figure out, are they going to be an organized individual? So are they very systematic? Do they have a process? Are they willing to follow a process, right? Those are the things that are going to be successful because top reps typically are able to have a process and they follow it. And if they don't, you know, you know, those are, those are reps that are out there and they, they can do their thing, but you know, success is going to lead to people who are organized and can be consistent. Yeah. You know, the funny thing that you mentioned about curiosity, um, you know, when I had Mark Reverse from uh, former CR of HubSpot as a guest, mm. he actually said he, cause he built the sales organization at HubSpot way back in the day. I think it was like 2007 or eight. Uh, but he said he's, you know, systematically analyzed all the candidates that he hired and, and onboarded and trained and uh, led them on to success. Coachability and curiosity was like the top two. And he said, you would think, you know, skills are what makes uh, salespeople, right? Like all oh, their skills of closing or mm-hmm. skills of uh, asking the right questions. But he said the people that were the most curious were able to ask the most questions and the most coachable were the ones that are actually taking feedback from the management on how to improve their skills even better. Um, yeah, have so, you, have like, you heard of the skill will no, concept? So no. essentially, you know, when you're looking to hire someone, this is also important as well. It's like skill versus will. So this is how we did it when we hired our SDR team. So skill is like, you know, you have the skill already, you know how to ask questions, et cetera, all that stuff. Will is like innate. It's like, what is your capacity or motivation to do something? So if you if you're looking to hire people, you actually want to get people who have high will and low skill. Because if they have if they're extremely motivated and they have low skill, that means that they don't have bad habits. So if you have a good framework and coaching system, you should be able to get this person very quickly to be successful. The worst thing, according to the data, is someone who has high skill and low will because they're frustrated because they're, they're not as motivated. They'll like get results, but they are inconsistent. So you can't rely on them. 
And then obviously if you have people with high skill and high will, that's incredible. Right. Mm-hmm. So the whole, the whole goal is like high, high will and low skill are the best. Cause then you could coach them. You could build a system around them. But again, if you have high skill, but low will, you can't teach will. So now you're yeah. struggling with someone who just doesn't get it. They're not getting after it. Yeah. And I, I would love to go back to the systems and process thing that you touched on earlier, but how do you look for that? The will. Uh, part of it, because I think skill, you can probably ask a lot of questions and put them through some sort of a test, right? But the will, but how, how do you test for the will part? Cause they're going to come across shiny and the sales interviews, but I mean, the interviews, but how do we, how do we really test for it? Yeah. You, I mean, and, and some, and obviously people can lie through this process, but you got to ask questions that are related to their story. Right. So we would ask like, Hey, like, can you, can you walk us through a time where you face an adversity and like, how did you, how did you get overcome it? Or like, what, what's a, what's a time where you failed something and what was the way, I mean, the kind of adversity, but what was the way that you bounced back or like, Hey, like what was a time where you were successful and how did it feel, you know, after that? Like, so it's just the questions around that, like what were things that they faced? What did they struggle? What was adversities? What are things that were in their head or like, Hey, when's the time that you like had negative self-talk and you had to push through, what did you do? Right. You want to see, do they have a chip on their shoulder, but when, what type of will that they have? And those mm-hmm. are questions you can ask to phrase it. Cause sometimes people, you know, might make that up on the fly and you can tell. <laughs> so you can really see like, how do they deal with these situations and do they have the will now? A good sign is if they're an athlete or something like that. Obviously, they'll have will if they've you know done something that's like extracurricular that like obviously revolves around having a certain will. Yeah, that's important. But I found that answer the answer those questions really helped me out at the end of the day, and also the team. Yeah. So, and I think you talked about the skill. So the skill of like the systems and process, maybe you can teach, right? Hey, here's how we use the CRM. Here's how you create your a call cadence. And here's yeah. the schedule that we recommend our best reps to have those sort of stuff. But what are other things that you can do to test for the skill of organizations and, you know, following or building a system of their own? Are there things that you've done to, to verify that too? If they have a previous sales role, one of the things that you could do is you can say, Hey, like, can you pitch us your, our, your last product or service? It just sees like, okay, like, can they actually do that? So that's like pretty interesting. Um, depends on what role you're interviewing for, but we would do like mock cold calls with a rep and we would give them a scenario and say, Hey, like try to pitch this, try to see how like comfortable they were on like doing a cold call and navigating that. So that was always interesting to see. Um, another thing that I found to be also like pretty interesting as well is we would try to figure out what they were good at as well by even doing like an exercise. So I'll give an example. We would say like, Hey, here's this account. Here's like the value prop and that's it. <laughs> you got to break it to this account. How would you do it? So they would present to us and be like, Hey, I looked at this account. Here's my research. Here are my emails. Here's how I go about it. Here's my thought process. Here's my outcomes. Interesting, mm-hmm. right? So that was another perspective we did as well. I find that that exercise was the best one to really see their skill. And also, do they even want to do the job, right? Because if they did mm-hmm. that and they didn't like it, it's like, well, that's what we're doing 100% of the time. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be a very good test because you can really see their thought process of how they would go about attacking an account, right? Especially if they have a target account they're going after, you know, what, what would be the... Who is the right person that will go after yep. and what kind of positioning they would use to get in the door? Um, that's a great test. So we can sit here and talk a lot about those practical things that I'm curious also. Obviously, you've well read. You've been on so many stages. What are some sales books that you love and recommend to other people? 
In terms of a leadership book, everything, anything John C. Maxwell, he's the best person in leadership. I, mm-hmm. He's just the best, right? So you have like the five, I think the five levels of leadership. Uh, another good one is 15. Hey, 21. In, 15 available yeah, laws of uh, growth. You said that there's 21 lessons of leadership, I think. I think he has the irrefutable loss of, uh, I think it was like 21 irrefutable yeah. loss. Too. Like he's got so many. He's got, I don't know how he's got bars, right? So you need to go check them out. Like John C. Maxwell, <laughs> if you want to be a reader, I've read like eight books before I took my manager role. It's the best books I ever read. Um, it helped me be, you know, a, a good leader to my team. So I, I recommend that. I mean, I know there's like sales management, like, uh, I think simplified, simplified, I think is something yeah. out there. I think that I heard that was a solid one, but I found that John C. Maxwell was the best, right? Period. I really like Anthony Ilanaro's um the only sales guys you'll ever need. And then like mm-hmm. I think there's another one around eating your competition, uh, eat their mm-hmm. lunch. I really like that. I, I've always been a fan of his and uh we've always had multiple conversations and I'm you know just a huge advocate on that. And and then another one I really like is Captivate. And it's a psychology book because you can read people's body language. And that's incredibly mm-hmm. important because we're like on Zoom and all this stuff. So if you're able to read someone's body language, you could figure out like, am I heading in the right direction or am I sucking right now? Right. So I think that's pretty mm-hmm. important to, to know whether or not you're actually moving in the right direction. So I found that one to be really helpful. Uh, another one that I really like is question-based selling. Thomas mm-hmm. Fries, uh, I A lot of the things I do is around that. Like mm-hmm. I have conversations personal professional based around question-based selling period i found it to be the best method for me so those are a couple of ones you can dive into uh, if you're listening in yeah i was on i was on one of your uh, earlier today that you were doing a, a live q a sessions on, mm-hmm. on live on linkedin and you talked about even on prospects you were asking what would you want me to use as a subject client yeah uh, so that you don't Right. Like you don't brush me off as a, as a, as a salesperson, right. Which is another way to ask questions to get the customer to tell you what, what the, you know, what they would like you to do. So you mentioned about the body language and reading the body language. So I have a question. So obviously I'm in sales too. I see a lot of, you know, prospects. Uh, there are conversations that I'm on where you can see the prospect is clearly distracted. Uh, and then, you know, like you said, the body language shows that this conversation is not what they're focused on. They have so many other people, so many other things going. And it's kind of the decision maker, but you have a couple of champions that you brought this decision maker to the call, but this person has no interest in listening to you or anything, or even ask questions that you clearly have answered early on and did not even pay attention. So what, what are some tactics that you've used to, to make sure that you get everybody's, you know, undiv- undivided attention and keep the conversation in Keep the deal moving. Okay, so I have multiple people on the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have okay. the decision maker is clearly distracted, distracted, playing around with something else, and even chatting or something, and then you know not, not even looking at the camera. Yeah. Okay. So I think the yeah, there's things you have to do beforehand, like because because like, there's so many there's so many things, right? Like there's things you have yeah. to do beforehand. So like if that's happening, you could do what I'm about to tell you. So if you if you didn't do these things, it's the reason why this is happening. So at the beginning of the call, um, let's say I had a conversation with the champion. I'll be like, hey, real quick, here's everything that I know to be true that Sally told me, right? And I'll just state it out. Here's what's going on. And I'm like, Sally, is there anything that I'm missing? Sally's like, oh, no, that's good. That's great. All right, cool, whatever. Then the next thing that I do is I say, hey, can everyone like real quick, like, let's just say it's four people in the call because it actually makes it easier. I just say, hey, can everybody in the chat put what are they looking to get out of this call? Mm-hmm. Right, so everybody in the chat puts in what they want to get out of the call. So as I'm going into it, whatever I'm doing, let's say he's this person is just not paying attention. Right, mm-hmm. I will I will call it out, and I'll be like, hey, and like so I'll figure out what I'm talking about and say like, hey, like based on what I said so far, like 
do you find this to be applicable to point number one you said, right? So like they have to pay attention, right? Because it's important to them. That's what they said, right? So they're going to come in and they might answer like one word answer. And then I say, can you elaborate, right? I like I put it to the test and like, I like basically start asking them questions, right? So they have to pay attention. So the main thing that I do is like when people are just not paying attention, I, I do that. Um, and also as well, it depends on your discovery, right? You could use a humble disclaimer, which is in question-based selling. And as you get deeper into it, you might say like, hey, like, I know this might be an odd question. However, based on what I've uncovered so far, you know, we, we can help with X. However, it, this it, it feels like you're not as interested in this. Is that the case? Right? You could call it out directly. But again, that's style. Like I like to call things out directly because like if I see someone's like not interested and we're going through something, I'll just be like, "Hey, like this is what I know. Is this not interesting to you?" That's another way of going about it. Also as well, like when you're going through and someone's not paying attention, you can always stop and say, hey, like so far, like this is what I'm talking about. Here's what here's what I'm hearing so far. Um, is that all that accurate? So what you could do is you can always pulse check. So the way that I sell is a lot of pulse checking. Like I'll like hear people and I'll be like, all right, so this is what I hear so far. And it just shows you're paying attention. So if you're paying attention, they'll pay attention to you. Another thing you can do is you can always just call it out again in a different way. Um, I ask this on every single call. I say, hey, you know, so far... You know, we've gone through these things. Sounds like this could be interesting. However, does anyone have any concerns? Like, I just want to make mm-hmm. sure I can address any concerns. If like this just isn't as interesting to you, I don't. I want. I want to make sure I don't waste your time. So those are just yeah. all different ways you can navigate it. It's very contextualized based on the situation, but those are ways you can do it. Yeah, and I think uh, some of the things that you've talked about, Sandler sales training kind of teaches some of those. I mm. think kind of like an upfront contract that set the set the tone of the meeting and what the expectations yeah. are for everybody before the end of that call. Uh, and then keep everybody <laughs> kind of accountable to that. Yeah, you got to keep them accountable. Otherwise, the people are just going to like be all over the place. Yeah, most certainly. And some really good insights there. So obviously, you know, we were going to talk about AI. So there's been a whole lot of talk about AI and where that's headed. From your perspective, what do you think is the future of AI with regards to sales and prospecting? Um, we're not even there yet. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a scary part, actually. We're not even truly there at the level of AI that I believe that we will get to. So it's the same thing. I've said this before, maybe like four or five years ago, is that if you're continuously scaling up, you don't really have to worry about AI as much, right? Maybe in the next like 15, 20 years, different conversation. But right now for the next five, you're okay. Now, if you're just going through the motions and Mm -hmm. sending out emails and like not scaling up, yeah, you should be pretty terrified right now because I could... I could, we could go get an AI to do the same thing you're doing. It's not that special at this point, right? Because AI mm-hmm. can do it. My whole, my whole thing on it right now is using the AI and to speed up your processes and to be better. There are AI tools out here who that actually can read your body language on calls. There's AI tools that can look analyze the behavior of what you're doing in your content. There's AI tools that can make you a thousand calls, right? It's getting getting better day by day. However, when I think of AI and the future of it, it's really coming down to how do I equip myself to make this better for me so I can increase my active selling time overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned Gong earlier, I think you know 
Gong, and we use uh, Avoma, which is a competitive product of Gong as yep. well. I think the they're all using AI power not only just to you know record and transcribe the calls, but actually able to you know organize the call summary into the pain points, the competitors they brought up, uh, you know, the, some sort of uh, issues that they think uh, should be addressed, right? Or even the the opportunities that the process, you know, the sales rep missed in terms of recognizing in the call is super powerful. And then even I'm I'm hoping there's there's going to be more of those things that would help us do our job a lot better. So what are some of your hopes in terms of AI helping the sales team or the or sales organization as a whole doing better? Yeah, I I, I think it'd be really great to understand. Um, well, I'll give an example. So there's this product called Second Nature. And mm-hmm. what it has is it's, um, the robot's called like Ginny. And so what it does is, is that they'll bring in like the manager, they'll do like a mock play with it. And then it, it, it can intuitively pick up how a prospect would respond. So now you can send your reps to Ginny and you don't have to do as much coaching as you would so that your team can get better. That's, that, that is like where we're going, right? Ginny can do the onboarding and I can focus on other high priority tasks, right? Love that. Two is that I mentioned the body language one. I think it's like, we don't talk enough about body language psychology and a lot of teams don't invest into that. And it's hard to find a good coach around that if you don't know what you're looking for. So an AI tool that tells you like your inflection was too high. You went too direct here. You should have pulled back. This person was looking to the left when you said this, this, this thing. Now I can learn mm-hmm. myself on how to get better. I don't need to go into training sessions every single minute. I can learn how to do that. And then my other thing is uh, being a good prompter. So asking good questions to ChatGPT is going to be a skill. So if I can, if I have someone who's good at prompting, they can give me good research. They can give me good outlines. And then I don't have to do all this work. I'm already prepared. So those are just a couple things that like I see where the future of sales is going if AI is done appropriately. But you know, it can always go rogue on us. And then you know, we're in an iRobot situation. So <laughs> it also can happen as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of the things that you mentioned, we certainly are using with, especially with Avoma, it tells us the number of time, you know, the amount of time the salesperson was talking. And if it was more than a certain percentage, right, you want 70% of the time, the prospect is talking to us and not, unless you're actually doing a demo. Right. Even in those scenarios, you don't want 75, 80% of it is, you know, the sales rep doing all the talking, Uh, but also just the filler words, right? Like you're using all these filler words that you can catch that, but I'm looking forward to learning more about these sort of tools that you mentioned that can actually help me get better in terms of reading body languages or even uh, dealing with objections and how to handle those things. Exactly. Uh, seems like some really good use case of that. Uh, are there other uh, any other trends that you're seeing in the sales industry? Obviously, you've kind of left the SDR role and, and moved on to more coaching and consulting. But what are some of the things that you're seeing is actually uh, changing the entire sales industry as you, as you see it? I mean, I feel like AI is just still, you know, there, right? Like, I feel like overall, like the top of this discussion is around... AI. Um, I don't really see anything else more groundbreaking or breaking a trend more than AI itself, because it's going to be the main topic in every single person that you're going to talk to is going to talk about it. And here's, here's the thing. So when you think about an industry, industries have narratives. So there was a narrative at one point where we were in the marketing automation area uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. Then we were in the sales engagement narrative, right? Then we were in like multi-platform narrative. Now we're in the AI narrative. So overall, the changes I'm going to see is still around AI. Now to your mm-hmm. question, the changes that are going to be in that is now tools are going to integrate AI in them, right? You have Lavender, AI, email, 
You have even video platforms which are going to go more AI there. They're going to start doing deep fakes. I've seen I've, I've seen the products, right? The data is going to start being more AI to find triggers, insights, clues, etc. AI related, you know, posts are going to be start putting out there. How do we analyze posts and do better posts? So you see where I'm going. It, it's not more so like is there a new technology or something that I'm going to see that comes out. I think it's more so AI is here. It is the narrative. So now everything off the AI narrative is going to last for the next 10 to 15 years. So now you have to figure out how do I leverage AI? What does it actually mean? And what's going on? Everything mm-hmm. in, in, in industries based on what I've studied is focused on a narrative. You can go pinpoint when certain companies go really go really hot. There's a narrative, right? There was a data cloud computing narrative, right? There's, mm-hmm. there, there's always a narrative. So now the narrative is AI and that will fundamentally change the way sales is. And I think it could be good, right? You have Again, body language analysis to get sellers better. And it shows that your buyer doesn't care. Now it forces mm-hmm. us to get better at this profession. And those are just my takes. Yeah. And I'm also looking for tools that's going to make us more efficient, like you said, right? Uh, you know, even if you're using prompt to find the quick answers to, a, you know, what is the summary mm-hmm. of this company and what are some of the, you know, top priorities for this organization? Exactly. Some sort of a prompt that gives you that before you make that call or call summaries. I mean, I'm using Avoma. I mentioned that, you know, not to give all these guys plugs, yeah, 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 but yeah. It, it summarizes the, summarizes the call and gives me quick takeaways that I need to put into my call emails. I even told the founder, I say, Hey, you know, if you can give me a pre-write, pre-written email, as soon as I get off the phone call and give me the takeaway for the call and then also the action item for the next call, that would make my life a lot easier. And imagine that it also sits in the draft in my CRM ready for me to just hit send. Like it's it's going to change the game. It is. So those are the kind of stuff, you know, the post call, all the homework that you have to do after post call, right? Like that's the part that salespeople hate. That's the administrative crap exactly. that you, you have to deal well, with. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it, it's, it's going to be... Could it happen where the AI replaces the human emotions? I mean... Look, it can happen. It, it can happen, right? I don't <laughs> see it happening anytime soon. And this is something that, like, I learned this week that someone told me, and I didn't think about it this way. And he was right. He's like, ChatGPT actually isn't AI. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, so people, so it just been trained. So people, yeah, because yeah. people are like, wait, more, wait, that is AI. Like, it's, it's not. <laughs> AI is proactive. ChatGPT is re- reactive. ChatGPT does nothing. Yeah. ChatGPT is nothing if you just sit there. It's not you're not going to come back and it's going to be like, oh, here's your answer. It's like it doesn't do that. So it's reactive to you, right? So also the answers are not always correct. Correct across the board. It's a compressor. It's just taking information and getting to you faster. That's all it's doing. It's just like a faster Google, right? If you think about it, right? That can give you things that you want. So AI proactive is I don't know if you have you seen the movie Smart House. No. Okay. Have you seen um? Do you watch Marvel, the movies? No, I'm not a big movie or a game oh, guy. Man. No. I, 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 I'm trying to... Um, have you seen iRobot? I guess you've seen iRobot. No, I actually you, did not oh, see that one what? either. Okay, so I, <laughs> you are the worst case example of all time. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but the thing is, I'll, I'll, give an, I'll just give like an example of what I'm trying to say. So AI proactively will do things based on what it's been fed. And you don't have to do it. So literally, if you were to type in so ChatGPT, this is what it should do. You say, hey, give me like 10 YouTube titles that have been like the top performing in the past 90 days, right? You type that. Every day, proactively, the AI will be, hey, I remember that prompt from yesterday. Here's here's something I found. That is AI because it's now it's <laughs> learning, right? And having a conversation with you. Right now, you're just talking at ChatGPT and, it, and it's just going back and forth. But 
to mm-hmm. put an input in there and then a week later it comes back and says, oh, I remember that. And it gives you answers proactively. You didn't ask for it. That's when we start moving to AI, right? So for mm-hmm. example, on the note side, it's like I have a call and literally I get off the call and and in seconds I have an email and it says, because this is reactive, but also proactive. Hey, based on the conversation that you had, here's the email that I wrote out. And you had a call like two weeks ago and we said this and the the, the reader stopped looking at this. So I took that out and added this. What? That's what that's where we're going. We're not there yet, but it's where we're going. Yeah. And I I mean I like you said in the beginning, it could it could be scary, but it could also be extremely uh, yeah. useful if you used it correctly, right? Like you can make us all even more efficient and productive. I mean, isn't so. that everything though? You think about the, you think about the internet, people are like, Oh, the internet's gonna be a fad, it's not gonna work, right? <laughs> the internet is like low key, like pretty ridiculous, right? I can go Google. Anywhere in the world, I can go on Google Maps and look at somebody's house, right? Mm-hmm. I could go on Instagram and message anybody any any time in the world. Like to some degree, that's pretty insane, right? But mm-hmm. when people were originally thinking about the internet, they were like, "Oh, that's not possible, no way." So, yeah, everything I'm saying, you might be like, "Oh, that's not possible, no way." But it's like, remember when the internet wasn't a thing, right? Remember when we had like flip phones and razors? Like, it's just things evolve. Mm-hmm. Two final final questions. Uh, do you have any sort of a productivity hack that you recommend to sales leaders and salespeople? One of the so one of the best things in order to accomplish goals is you have to do things by action steps. If you want to make X amount of money, it's not like I need to go make a lot of money. You have to take steps in order to do that, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to quota, right? So you should reverse engineer your quota to figure out how many how many things do you need to do per day, right? Is it fifty calls a day, twenty calls a day? three emails, I don't I don't know, whatever you got to do, you need to figure out what that is. And so ultimately, if you really want to be successful, a good hack or a productivity piece is the night before, write down what you need to do the next day. So I do this almost, I do this every single day. Like, all right, I'm going to bed. What are the things I need to do tomorrow? Great. So I don't think about what I need to do. I just do it. And that's where most people <laughs> fail is that they're thinking too much on what they need to do instead of just actually doing it. Perfect. The final question I have is, what would you, knowing what you know today, what what, what advice would you give the more younger Morgan Ingram? How, how old am I? Huh? How old am I? Uh, how young am I? Uh, uh, maybe I don't know. Nine years old. Nine? Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think. Okay. So I would I would tell him that follow your intuition. Yeah, as you follow the intuition know that you should also ask for help along the way. I think innately, and I've just been thinking about this lately, we all know what we need to do. Even on calls, we know what questions to ask typically, but most sales reps are afraid to ask the hard questions because they think that it's going to end up killing the deal or losing the opportunity. Founders even know which way they should pivot, but they're afraid that Oh, they've been too deep into this narrative. Why would they switch it up? Or we might lose customers or we might lose our market, right? This marketing campaign might be too outlandish, et cetera. I found that like the large majority of time when I listen to my intuition, when it's like, hey, you should consider this instead of this. I always logically like to look at the data and back into it, but I find that that's the best. Then when it's maybe an uncharted path or the wilderness, then you can always ask people for help or to be a soundboard to move forward. Because going into the wilderness can be also difficult. But if you have people to shine the light around the wilderness, it's a lot easier. Well, great word to end the conversation. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by 1IMS. 
a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.